Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. Elm City Church is a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together. No matter where you're at, these messages are meant to equip and strengthen you for the journey. You can find out more by visiting elmcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening. I want to start out this morning by showing you two pictures of things that I love. First, Chick-fil-A sandwiches. So good. Can't get them on Sundays. I heard Tim Tebow is the only person that can get them on Sundays. Uh, I love me. Anyone else? We have Chick-fil-A fans in here? Okay. I said this before. It happened like a couple weeks ago with Larry Bird. Still, Jesus needs to get a better clap this morning than Chick-fil-A at some point. Uh, let me show you another picture of something that I love. <laughs> oh, aren't they so cute? Uh, this is my wife, Beth. This was... I, well, we'll get to there. Uh, so this was taken in our belated 10-year uh, anniversary trip. And uh, so I love Chick-fil-A sandwiches. And I love my wife, Beth. Now, some of you might be thinking, careful, Albie. Sounds like you're comparing your love to your wife uh, to a chicken sandwich. And if you want a picture of your 11th anniversary, I would tread lightly here, mister. Oh, yes, I will tread lightly. So, but obviously, my relationship with that chicken sandwich, as great as it is, and as much as I love it, is obviously a very different type of relationship than a marriage. Because if I found a better chicken sandwich at a lower price, heck, even a better chicken sandwich at a higher price that was closer, I would have no problem kind of disavowing my loyalty to Chick-fil-A and just getting a new sandwich. Because by nature, that's a consumer relationship. That's what you do with a consumer relationship. Your loyalties kind of only go as far as that relationship being mutually beneficial. Marriage, however, is a covenant relationship. And so a covenant relationship could be no, you couldn't find any two more relationships that are more different than a covenant and a consumer relationship. Because unlike a business deal, a covenant, unlike a business deal or a consumer relationship, a covenant relationship implies there's both a meaningful relationship between both parties and serious consequences if the promises that those two parties made to get to each other are broken. Uh, so I, I highlight marriage in this really only because we don't have a lot of relationships in our current context that are covenant, and marriage is one of the few um, that, that is like that. So this morning, we are continuing in our series God in his own words. This is our fifth week where we're looking at God's character revealed in Exodus 34, 6 through 7. Uh, so what do Chick-fil-A sandwiches and marriage have to, do with the, have to do with the character of God? Well, we're about to find out. So if you want to turn to Exodus 34, 6 through 7, I'm going to read it. It's also going to be up on the screen. Um, but again, this is the, the passage we've been in for the last five weeks. And this is, uh, this, is, this is God proclaiming his name and his character to Moses. And this is, this is what it says. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the, transgre- visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. 
So what we've been doing in this series is we've been going through and just kind of looking at each word, each character trait that God has revealed about himself. And this morning, what we're going to look at is what does it mean when God says that he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness? What, what, does, what does this mean? Um, and the reason why I'm kind of going so slow through this and looking at each word is because these are some of the very words that the God of the universe used to describe himself. And so one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves and try to answer is what is God like? And so the whole point of this series is trying to answer this what is God like in his own words. And he says this week we are looking that he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And because we believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever... And these are his character traits, which just means this is, this, is how, this is something you experience relationally. So even though this, these words were spoken 3,500 plus years ago in the Middle East to someone like over there, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, these words are meaningful to us here and now. And they impact how you in the here and now relate and interact with God. So what does this mean when, when, when Yahweh God says, I am abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Again, these, these two words are just packed with meaning. So uh, the first one that's, that we translate steadfast love uh, is, is, is uh, chesed in Hebrew. And it's a word that's not easy to translate because there's no like one-to-one uh, correlation. So sometimes you'll see it in the scriptures. The, the Bible have it as uh, steadfast love. Other times you'll see it as unfailing love. And maybe it's, depending on the translation, it might say uh, covenant loyalty. The next word, emet, can be translated as faithfulness, sureness, or truth. Um, this is actually where the word amen comes from. Um, it doesn't have much anymore, but in church or saying, someone says like amen, what they're saying is true. I remember when I was, I was little, I, I think I was only six or seven, and my parents, our families, we were having this home Bible study with another family. And my, I think it was either my mom or dad was praying. And they were kind of going on for a while. And Larry, this guy who was there, you've been praying, someone's like going, mm-hmm, amen, amen. Well, when I was a little kid, I thought that's, that all, you only said amen when you ended a prayer. And so I'm thinking, Larry's going, man, they're praying for way too long. And like being really rude and trying to butt in, like, amen, amen. And my dad's just not getting the hint and going on. Uh, I never, like every time I hear amen, I always remember that as a kid. As a kid. Like, what's up with this guy? He's not taking the hint. <laughs> it's so rude. Um, but amen and simply, also, but faithfulness can also be translated as truth. So why is it important? Why should it matter to us so much that God says he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness? This is what God is saying about himself. He's saying, I keep my promises and I can be trusted. Not only can you trust what I say is true, but I keep my word always. Think about that. I can be trusted. I keep my word always. And what I say is always true. We're not like that. Man, I'm glad that God is not, we're not, that God is not like us. We are not like that. We keep our word sometimes. Some of us keep it most of the time. But God is faithful and true all the time. John Mark Comer wrote a book, God Has a Name, which I've, I've really learned a lot from. A lot of the, even the stuff that comes out of here is stuff I've learned from him. And he says, talking about these two words, he said, Hesed and Emet are about God's loyalty, how he never abandons his people. He is faithful to the bitter end, no matter the cost. 
That's what God's like. Um, but you might be hearing that and say, okay, that sounds nice. That sounds great in a sermon when I'm here on Sundays, but I have, what about in the hard times? What are you going to be like, okay, God, uh, where are you? Because I feel abandoned right now. Is there, is anyone, anyone been there before? Like I know on paper, this is, this is true, but right now, God, where, where are you? Because there's going to be times where our circumstances make us doubt this. There's going to be times where our circumstances be like, I don't know if God is good or true because things are pretty crappy right now. Like, we've all been there. You may be like, God, like, did you just take half of 2020 off? Like, wow, what is going on? Like, it's okay to be that brutally honest. Like, God can handle that. I mean, read the Psalms, read the other stuff. God is not afraid of what, of our true, of what we're feeling right now. And it's not a lack of faith to admit it. And in the scriptures, they are filled with people whose circumstances made them feel like, God, what is going on? But here's what I want to share next, um, because this is where understanding God's covenant faithfulness and his covenant loyalty can be so powerful for you and can, and, and can have this stuff shine, shine really bright because we see all throughout scriptures people whose circumstances do not provide them any reason for hope. But what they do is they look to the character of God and they say, despite what my circumstances say, I can still have hope because my trust is in God. And this word about God's covenant loyalty is, uh, is, is a big deal. And I pray that if you are watching online or in here this morning, you're struggling to believe God is true and you're unsure that this part fills you with hope. Um, but because some of this is happening, again, 3,500 years ago, ancient Near East, completely different context, uh, there's a few things I'm going to have to explain as to why this should, should fill you with hope. So our passage this morning, the one we're reading, takes place in the book of Exodus. Uh, but it's, it's hard, it's, there's an echo in it, and really echo in um, a lot of these stories back to a different story that happened in Genesis 12. So Genesis 12 is one of the pivotal moments in the Bible when you're looking at the big flow of the thing, and it's when God calls Abraham and makes a promise to him. And this is what he says. This is Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all families of the earth will be blessed. So God, this is an incredible promise God makes to Abraham, and it's a pivotal moment, and he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and I'm going to bless you and make your name great so that you can be a blessing, and also this, through your line, all nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Not a bad, that's a pretty big promise. To, to, this, to this guy, Abraham. But as stories normally go, Abraham doesn't actually trust God uh, as much as he should. And he starts to try to kind of do it in his own way, which caused him to make a bunch of bad decisions. And never been, I'm sure no one's been there before, so this is completely unrelatable to. <laughs> but here's what happened. He found himself frustrated and doubting because God's timing was not matching his expectations. He found himself frustrating and doubting because God's timing was not meeting his expectations. You know, for Abraham, God said, I'm going to make you and your descendants as abundant as the stars and give you 
the land, all these great blessings, and he finds himself an old man with no kids and no land. And he's thinking to himself, God, did you break your promise with me? Did, are, are you going to let me down? So Abraham asks him, oh, Lord God, like, and God reassures him, but he says, how, how, do, how should I know that I'm going to possess this land? How will I know your promises are going to come true? And so God's answer to him um, is that God, uh, has, do they do a covenant ceremony? And this is going to, I promise you, first glance, this is going to sound super bizarre uh, because we don't do this, but to the, what, what they're about to do. But this was not uncommon in their, in their context. So a, a common practice when you're finalizing a covenant is something called cutting the covenant. So now you might get a contract and you sign. Uh, they took it another level. This is, this is how, you would, uh, how you would finalize a covenant. You would take some animals, some goat, uh, you know, a goat, a sheep, a ram, and what you would do was you would cut them in half. And you would put one side of the animal here, another side of the animal here, and you would make a pathway in between them. And in the middle of it would have been kind of a disgusting, <laughs> bloody mess, which was kind of the point. And what would happen was both sides of the party, after making the agreement and the promises, would walk through the middle of those, of those two sets of halves of animals, through the gross stuff in the middle, out the other side. And what they were basically saying to each other was, uh, to, to the one of us who breaks this promise, may this happen to you. Like, brutal, bizarre, gets the point across. I, I, I tried this between the Neffinger and the Powers at our wedding. They did not go for it. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> um, but I tell you this just so you can understand what happens next. So that was a common practice of, of cutting the covenant. So God makes his covenant promise to Abraham, and this is what he does. He, he puts Abraham, he tells Abraham, lay out the animals, and then he puts him into a deep sleep. And uh, that night he's in a deep sleep, Abraham has this, has this vision of God symbolically represented as a flaming torch and a fire pot in this vision. And Abraham in his dream watches as Yahweh God goes through in between the two things, himself. Now think about why this is so important. This, and God was telling Abraham something. God made a covenant with Abraham, cut, did this cutting the covenant ceremony, and then walked through it himself and did not make Abraham walk through it. And basically what he is saying was, not only am I going to keep this promise but I am going to be responsible for your unfaithfulness. I am going to uphold both sides of this covenant. Again, that, it, it, they would have immediately, Abraham would have got that, Moses understood that. Guess what? I always keep my promises and I am gonna be on the hook as well for your unfaithfulness. And nothing can keep God from keeping his promises. Because he's faithful, and that's what God is like. And as we and as we as we look forward to Jesus, you can probably see where this is going. Um, this is why Matthew and Luke stress the lineage of Jesus. They stress that they bring G- Jesus' lineage back through through you know through David, 
all the way back so they know that uh, when, when God made that promise to Abraham, that through Abraham, ultimately all the nations of the earth will be blessed, that Jesus was the one who came, who came through that line, who is the ultimate promise and fulfillment of God's promises to bless all of the earth through the line of Abraham because God keeps his promises even to the point of death. The apostle John in the opening remarks of his gospel talks about Jesus and says this. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. And these words come straight out of Exodus 34, six through seven. It takes a journey where it goes from Hebrew to Greek to English. But when he says, basically what he's saying, John is saying is that Jesus is the walking embodiment of Kesed and Emet, of covenant covenant love and faithfulness. That That is what John is saying here. God does not quit on his people when they are too much work, inconvenient, or or unfaithful because he is abounding in covenant love and faithfulness. Oh my gosh, if God had a consumer relationship with Israel, if God's relationship with Israel was like my relationship with Chick-fil-A, he would have found a easier people who are less work and just, but the whole story of the Old Testament is God over and over being faithful to an unfaithful people. Yeah, yes, there was times of judgment, times of exile, but even that was a sign of God's faithfulness. Ah, and even in this story, and in, in the Exodus passage that we're reading, God is reminding people of who he is and his faithfulness to Moses while the Israelite people in that moment are worshiping a golden calf. Like he's saying these very words while his people are being unfaithful. He's saying, this is what I'm like. And here's why the message of Jesus is such good news for us, because it's based on God's faithfulness, not ours. Isn't that good news? What's that word we learn? Amen? We can can use it. Amen, yeah. Isn't that good news? That the gospel is based on God's faithfulness, not ours. He, you know, there's this great line in the New Testament talks about like, even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. And for those of us who are his children, this is nothing can take us from him because he is faithful. That is who he is. That is, his faithfulness is unbelievable. And God has provided a way for sinful people like us to be rescued, reconciled, and then sent out as his ambassadors. He promises that. And he always keeps his promises. So here's just a couple of thoughts I want to leave you with of where do we go from here? And how does this make sense of everything that's happening in 2020 and the world around us and all that? First thing, I have found that sometimes we get upset at God for breaking promises he never made. We get upset at God for breaking promises he never made. This is one of my biggest concerns and gripes with some of the prosperity gospel nonsense. Because God, you're claiming promises that either weren't made to you or aren't promises. Uh, God has not promised us a pain-free existence or a dream job. He has never promised us that if we are faithful, bad things won't happen. He's never promised us that if we have enough faith, every time we pray for somebody, they're going to get healed. God, God, does God work in miraculous ways? Absolutely. But we can't get upset at God for breaking promises he never made. Uh, th- listen, even to the words, words of Jesus. We can, it's so easy to feel let down in something you shouldn't be let down on. 
Listen to what the words of Jesus. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Jesus promises, honestly, in this world, you're going to have trouble. This world is broken. This world feels the effects of sin. This world has systemic injustice. This world has viruses. This world has death. This world has all of this stuff. That, that's, that's not God letting us down. That, that's, that's the result of sin. But he says, I have come to overcome the world. He has, we celebrate at Advent time, we look back at the birth of Jesus. We look back at, at his, his life, his death and resurrection and all everything that comes with it. And we look forward and hope to the better future. And we can have confidence that God will fulfill his promises in the future because he has fulfilled it in the past. But let's think for a second just about the promises he did make to us. Because it's all the more important for us to cling to the things he did say is true. Uh, you know, Here's just a couple of them from scripture. Isaiah 26, 3, one of my favorite. It says, you will keep the mind that is dependent upon you in perfect peace for it trusts in you. That's a promise. Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29 says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. That is a promise. Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his promise. What we want that verse to say is, God makes everything good right now. It's not what it says. But what the promise is, he works all things together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his promise. And that's always true. How about this? For those of you who have not yet placed your faith in Jesus, this is what the scriptures say. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is another promise based on the faithfulness of God, not on us. So we are going to, we're going to continue our worship together this morning with a final song. And this final song is called Yes and Amen. And uh, remember, the word translated faithful can, is also translated as amen. And this, this whole song speaks to God's covenant loyalty, and faithfulness. So maybe you're having a hard time this morning trusting God, trusting that God is good because your circumstances are hard. God's not afraid of that. Like, don't feel like you have to, like, honestly, first off, God already knows what you're feeling, so you don't have to hide. Luckily, again, our salvation, our security is based on God's faithfulness. Eugene Peterson, he's one of my favorite authors. He, he said this, he wrote this a few years ago. He said, we live in what one writer has called the age of sensation. We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity to it. But the wisdom of God says something different, that we can act our way into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel our way into a new way of acting. Think about that. Have you ever like, how do you get to the point where you want to read your Bible and pray? You act your way into feeling it. If you waited around till you wanted to do what God calls you to do, you'd do nothing. <laughs> it, just, it just honestly doesn't work that way that often. And then I was thinking about this. I was like, you know what? When we sing together, we can also sing our way into a new way of feeling. You might start off some of these songs not really believing what you're saying in your heart. But by the end of it, God works on you and you're, now you're starting to sing what you know and believe is true. Because we can act our way into a new way of feeling and I really think we can sing our way into a new way of feeling. Because God, so what is God like? 
He is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And all of his promises we're going to sing, they are yes and amen. Amen. Because he is faithful.